You are listening to the Genesis Podcast, a community of faith, love, and hope. As we look to the scriptures, it is our desire to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. We are continuing our series entitled The Journey, looking how lives are shaped throughout the journey. And what's important is we see defining moments in all these people that we've been looking at through Scripture. Abraham, we've been looking at Jacob, Joseph, David. And today we're going to be looking at Peter, but we see in each of these cases there are moments in these people's lives that change the direction of their life. And we find that that's true of us as well. Sometimes they're great things. You know, you get married and it's a wonderful thing and it changes the direction of your life. Sometimes it's a tragic thing. You get married and it changes the direction of your life. I just want to see if you're awake. And some of you know that that's true. We say it jokingly, but there are people who have married and have had some serious issues, maybe divorce, maybe unfaithfulness, things where that becomes a defining moment in your life. It could be disease, cancer, something that happens to you or to someone in your family, and it changes your, your way of thinking and it changes your trajectory in your life. And, and these moments are important to see that as these things change, our lives are still encapsulated in the story of God. In other words, no matter what happens in our lives, God's story is still going on. And, and the thing that we need to do is connect our journey to his story so that there is meaning, so that there is direction, and so that there is purpose. And so turn with me to Luke chapter 5. We're going to look at the beginning of Peter's journey. And as you know, Peter was a fisherman. And when you think about a fisherman at this time, the first century Israel, this is not a prestigious position. It's important to recognize that as Peter is a a young man at this time, he is not following the way of a disciple or he does not have a rabbi that he's following, which means he has gone back probably to his father's trade. And this is what he plans to do for the rest of his life. Enter Jesus. Chapter 5, starting verse 1. One day... As Jesus was standing by the lake at Gersenet, sounds like a sneeze, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boats to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so so full that they began to sink. When Simon saw this, he fell at his knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. 
And so were James and John and the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore and left everything and followed him. A defining moment. Here is a time where Peter encounters Jesus and something happens in this episode. I mean, I think there's so many interesting things about this story. First of all, as Jesus borrows basically Peter's boat, he actually pays him for it by going and catching enough fish for them. You know, he he didn't just like think, hey, yeah, thanks for letting me use your boat. I'm out of here. He actually compensated him by providing all those fish for them. But more than that, Peter, you can see this kind of reluctance. It's like, you want us to let down the nets? We just washed the nets, okay? We were fishing all day. You don't go fishing in the middle of the day, but okay, you say so, I'll do it. Almost hesitantly, but okay, I'll do it. And in that moment became the opportunity. Even though he didn't feel like it, he did it. And something happened because of it. I wonder how many times we are resistant when God would speak into our lives and our hearts and we just feel this, you know, I think I should step into this or I think I should say that or or maybe I should go and talk to that person or maybe I should pull over and help that person. We have this sense, well, no, you know, I've been fishing all night. I really can't, I got... I remember one time Karina and I were driving up to the midweek on Wednesday and we were driving and there was a car pulled over at the side and Karina said, oh, maybe we should pull over and help him. I said, we can't, we're going to church. And that just struck me, you know, it's like, oh God, what am I, you know, what is this? You know, so maybe that little presence of, you know, you should step in and do something is there and, and you really need to take that moment because that's where the encounter takes place. And as he encounters Jesus, he he is humbled. He realizes, man, I I don't deserve this. But Jesus calls him to follow him, and he leaves everything and goes to follow him. He leaves his trade, his father's trade, the one that he'd had, probably the only thing he was depending on for life. He leaves it to go and follow Jesus. And I wondered, what would it take for me to forsake everything and follow after someone? It would take trust. And I wonder if God asks us in so many ways to forsake what seems like security to us to live our lives for him. In some ways, maybe it's overtime. Maybe it's not pursuing a a career that advances you, but pursuing a life that actually enhances your life and not following the money, but following a purpose. I wonder how much we trust God for our lives because trust is a a difficult thing. I mean, trust is choosing to make something that is important to you vulnerable to the actions of someone else. Something that is important to me, I am going to put that in a place of of vulnerability to someone else. And again, this is especially true in relationships. I'm going to give my love, affection, and devotion to this person. Now I am vulnerable, and it's in your charge. What you do with that is going to affect me drastically. And Peter takes this step, and he actually puts trust 
in Christ. Distrust is when I have shared what is important and I find out that it's not safe with you. And so Peter is going to find out if Jesus is trustworthy or not. Can I actually trust my life with him? Can I follow him? Is he going to let me down? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 14. We're going to look at another monumental event. At least I think it's monumental. Matthew chapter 14, starting at verse 22. And here's a a story that we're familiar with where Jesus and Peter walk on the water. And it says in verse 22 of chapter 14, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waters because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? When they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly you are the Son of God. Another monumental moment in in Peter's life, I would think. Not just seeing Jesus walk on the water, but actually walking on the water yourself. But here's the amazing thing. If I were to see Jesus walking on the water, I would be terrified just like they were. I'd freak out just like they did. But I don't think I would say, Let me come out there too. I don't think that would be my first reaction. Now, it's interesting why it is Peter's first reaction. You see, a disciple is someone who follows their teacher, their rabbi, because they are there to do the things of their rabbi. They are supposed to learn all about what they believe, how they live, and then they're to emulate them. They're to to mimic them. They're to live in their steps. And so when Peter asked Jesus, if it's you, then call me to come. Because if you're my teacher, then I can do what you do. And I just imagine a smile breaking out over Jesus' face. When Peter says, if it's you, then let me come out there. I can see Jesus just saying, right on. Maybe he wouldn't say right on, but he would say something more equivalent to his time period. But it would be like, exactly. See, the point of this story isn't that Jesus walked on the water. The point of this story is that Peter actually followed his rabbi and did the same thing, even though it was impossible. 
what does it take to step out of a perfectly safe boat onto a sea that's being tossed? It takes trust. And once again, we see that there is a trust, a faith in Jesus that Peter has that moves him towards Christ, that moves him in the direction to be not only close to him physically, but close to him in how he behaves and how he lives. And we need to take notes of this because if we are going to be like Jesus, then we really do need to follow him. We really do need to to do the things that he has done. We need to go where he has gone and reach the people that he cares about. That's how we trust him. That's how we follow him. That's how we act like our rabbi. And so once again, we see this trust that Peter has that's incredible. And we see even a more culmination of it in chapter 16 of Matthew, verses 13, where Jesus talks to the disciples And he says, when he came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And so they answered him. Some of them say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah and still others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Wow. Another monumental moment in Peter's life because he gets a name change here. You were Simon, now you are Peter. Peter means a, a rock or a stone. And so here is Peter's trust taking him to realize that you indeed are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. His trust in God led to a revelation from God. You see, God reveals himself to people who put their trust in him. God works in the lives of those who are near to him. And so Jesus tells Peter, flesh and blood didn't reveal this. My father who is in heaven revealed this to you. Why did God reveal it to Peter? Because Peter is looking, seeing what Jesus is doing, following after him, trusting him. And now what happens is God actually entrusts himself to Peter, and he gives him the keys of the kingdom. And so we see that this trust is reciprocal. It goes both ways. Here's Peter trusting God and trusting Jesus, and now we actually see Jesus entrusting the keys to the kingdom with not only Peter, but with those who profess like Peter professed. That's pretty wild that God would entrust something of such value to this fisherman. And I think it's important for us to recognize that 
Reliability is an important part of this relationship with God and with others. It's a part of trust. If I can trust you will do what you say you're going to do, then I can put confidence in you. And I also need to trust that it's going to be true, that it's going to be accurate. We have a scale at home, and it's a friendly scale. You guys know what I mean? You get on it and you smile and you think, nice, all right. And then you go to the doctors and you say, wait, this scale is wrong. My scale is a lot nicer than this scale. There are mirrors like that too, right? You go in the mirror, oh, I like this mirror. Then you go to the other mirror, what's wrong with this mirror? Nothing. You see, for there to be reliability, there has to be accuracy. There has to be truth. There has to be a willingness to engage in the things that are true. And so Jesus deals with Peter in a very realistic way. Even when Peter goes astray and and has a moment where he says to Jesus, you know, even everyone else will forsake you. I never will. Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. You don't care about the things of God, but the things of men. God calls it like it is, but that's reliability. You see, if he's going to trust you with something, he needs to be able to be honest with you. Honesty is a difficult thing in relationships, isn't it? When someone is being destructive to a relationship. You can't rely on them. And if they want to be reliable, you have to be able to hold the feet to the fire and say, look, at this is happening and it's destroying this relationship. It's causing a problem here. When Karina and I first got married, I wasn't used to waking up and having someone around me. I was used to just waking up and just being grouchy because it was the morning because that's what I was in the morning. I was a grouch. So I'd get up in the morning and I would just, she would say, good morning. You know, she's like happily married to her new husband. And I'm like, you know, I'm just growling my way across the house. And I remember one day she says, we need to talk. And I go, what's the problem? She goes, you're really grouchy in the morning. And it's really, it's bad. And I had to stop and think, I guess, guess I am. I never thought about it. See, the reliability is that I can trust that she's accurate with her assessment of me. But that's what trust is. I can trust that you're going to be accurate in the account to me so that I can actually receive it. That's part of being reliable. That's trusting those things. You see, trust isn't built on just monumental things. It's built on small moments by moments. It's on those daily things that happen. When you start to actually care about someone and trust them, usually the reasons aren't because they went into a burning building and pulled you out. Usually the reason is they followed up and asked you, how are you? How are your parents? I I know that this happened to your child. Are they okay? And that touches you because they show interest in even a small thing. And it's amazing how those small things can really snowball and to become big things. How moments in our life can change when we trust someone or choose to enter into a place where we want to be reliable and we want to give of ourselves to them. John Gottman 
wrote in a book about trust and betrayal. He said, trust is built on small moments, sliding door moments that's taken from the movie. There is the opportunity to build trust or betrayal when we choose not to connect when the opportunity there is there, then it's betrayal. Listen to this. When we choose not to connect when there is opportunity, that is betrayal. And he gives an example. He gives an example where he's reading a book and he's ready to go to bed and he's just got a couple more pages left in this mystery novel and he thinks he knows who did it. I, I know who it is. I'm gonna find out in just a few pages, but he wants to go brush his teeth and get everything ready so when he finishes the book, he can just go to sleep. And so as he starts to go to the bathroom to brush his teeth, he looks in and he can see that his wife is visibly upset. Something's wrong with her. And he's thinking, I just got a few more pages if I just go brush my teeth, I can just I can walk right by. But you see, that's betrayal. Because that is the moment where something is wrong and instead of ignoring it, I'm actually going to step into it and say, what's wrong? Why? Because I'm being reliable to the relationship. I'm not putting it off. I'm actually involving myself in it. And we see Peter has done that with Jesus, and now Jesus is actually doing that with Peter. God wants to do that with us as well, where we don't just put it off, but we engage it. And he wants us to do this with each other as well. Husbands and wives, this is so important. You cannot just pass by and pretend things are okay if they're not. Karina and I were talking about this the other day. Just how easy it is for us to just, oh, things are okay, things are okay. You know, it's not bad, it's not bad. But there is something there. Well, we should probably talk about it. We should probably talk to someone about it. It's not like something astronomical. It's just there are things that could be better and we need to step into those things. And resisting that is actually a betrayal. We see in Luke chapter 22, a moment where Peter actually betrays Jesus' trust. <clears throat> Again, I think another defining moment, though it's not one of the better ones, it's something that I think has defined what has taken place. In chapter 22, verse 54, then seizing him, seizing Jesus, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And when some, of, some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down, a servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned, looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word that the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. When trust is betrayed, it can be devastating. And that's a part of Peter's story. It's a part of his journey. 
and this accountability is, is an important part because I can only trust you that you will make that if you will make a mistake, that you will own it, that you will apologize for it and want to make amends. That's an important part of this journey with God because it's not a matter of if you are going to fail. It's a matter of when. And when you fall, when you stumble, that is the moment decision needs to be made of where you are going to go from here. So many times people who are in rehab get out of rehab and they have a relapse. It's not uncommon. But that's the moment of decision. Okay, you've relapsed. Now do you throw it all away or do you say, it's okay, I'm going to pick up from here and continue moving forward? And Peter finds himself in a place where he's just denied the Lord. He's wept bitterly. What's going to happen? How, how is this going to change him? How is this going to affect him? Where does he go from here? Because this is an important and a crucial point. And we see where he goes in John chapter 21. In John chapter 21, not going to read the whole thing, but I'll give you a count. We see that verse 1 of John 21, he says, Afterward, Jesus appeared again to the disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel, from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. That night they caught nothing. What did Peter do after his denial, after he betrayed the Lord and broke basically his heart as well as God's heart? He went back to what he was familiar with. He went back to what he knows. Not only did he go back but he took the others back with him. And so we see that here is a very pivotal moment in Peter's life. He's denied Jesus. Now, Jesus at this time is risen. Others have seen him, but Peter doesn't think, well, I can just pursue. I'm going to pick up right where I left off, or it doesn't seem to. It seems that he goes back to what he was used to. Well, this is what I have. This is where I'm going to go back to. This is what I'm going to fall back. And we all have those moments in our lives where we have to choose, okay, I have fallen. I'm not where I should be. I'm not the man. I'm not the woman I should be. Where do I go from here? Do I go back to what I was? Is that all that's left for me? Man, you don't know how bad I've messed up. You don't know what I've done. You don't know how much damage I've caused in my life. There's nothing left for me but what I have. I need to go back. And we see that that's what Peter does. And just like in the beginning, when Jesus told Peter to go out, we see Jesus is now at the shore and he he calls out to him and he says, hey, have you guys caught anything? They said, no, we haven't. He said, well, put the net on the other side of the boat, which I always think is funny. What, does it matter if it's on the right or left side of the boat? And all of a sudden, one of them says, it's the Lord. And they do that. Peter sees that it's the Lord. He jumps in. He swims 
into shore. He sits there, and there at the shore is Jesus cooking some fish, and he's about to eat with them. And then Jesus presses into Peter, and he challenges him, and he confronts him. Again, this is part of that being reliable. This is part of that being accountable, that ability to talk to you about where you're at. When they'd finished eating, verse 15, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He says, Simon, do you agape me more than these? And what these is he talking about? Is he talking about the people or is he talking about the fish and the boat and all the things that he's just gone back to? Either way, do you love me more than what you are around and where you are at right now? And and Peter responds to him. Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And there's a play on words because Jesus says, do you agape me? This deep committed love. And Peter says, I phileo you. I have a strong affection for you. I am connected to you. I I do love you. He answered again, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, Take care of my sheep. Or first, excuse me, feed my lambs. I knew lambs came before sheep. He said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Again, agape. Yes, he answered. Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Third time, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And this time Jesus uses the word phileo, You have a strong affection for me. Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And again, Jesus says, feed my sheep. You see, you don't get off the hook that easy. Yeah, you betrayed me, but I still have something for you to do. Yeah, there's been a disappointment. There's been a setback. But I still have work for you to do. And so Jesus asked, if you love me, then I want you to continue in this work. I want you to continue doing what I'd asked you to do. Remember, I told you that if you followed me, you would be a fisherman of people. I want you to go back to fishing but not here, out there. And we see that Jesus takes and starts to restore Peter. There isn't this condemnation. And it's important for there to be trust. There needs to be this understanding of non-judgment. I can fall apart and struggle without being judged by you. I I can collapse and I I can have those moments and those times where the truth about who I am is revealed and you don't condemn me. Because we all have those moments. There are all things in our lives that we're not ashamed of and what we need, not only are we seeing that Jesus doesn't condemn, but we need to not condemn each other. And what Jesus does to Peter, he says, I know what you did, but I still want to be a part of what you will do. I want you to take care 
my lambs. I want you to take care of my sheep. And there's this idea of lambs being small and sheep being older. This, I want you to stay the journey. I want you to continue this and move forward. There also needs to be generosity if there's going to be trust. Generosity is, can you assume the most generous thing about the intentions and behavior instead of go to the place of condemnation? When you see someone stumble and fall, do you say, well, you know, I I know that they had a problem, they struggled, but I know that they're going to be okay. When you hear that someone said something about that, well, I trust them. I'm not going to think the worst about it. I'm actually going to give them the benefit of the doubt. How often are we generous in our ideology towards people or are we more condemning? We like to hear the bad news. You see, the problem is if someone comes to you and gives you gossip, you know what that person thinks about trust, right? If someone tells you something that was told to them in confidence, now you know how much they hold confidence to heart. And so it gives you an idea, well, should I put confidence in someone who doesn't hold confidence? Or does someone have a generous spirit? Well, you know, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. I'm not going to think less of them. You know, it it assumes a more generous posture about that person's intentions. And Jesus makes an assumption here that I think is powerful. Peter just denied him. And Jesus assumes that he can still trust him. Makes me want to weep. Because I know there's some of you that are here and you feel like, no, it's done with me. I've blown it or I just, I don't have the fire I had for God. And you need to hear Jesus' voice saying, no, I still trust you to carry about the work I have for you. I still see you as the light of the world. I still see you as a city set upon the hill. I still have confidence that you can be a fisherman of people. I haven't abandoned you. He has a generous thought towards us. And, And so... What does Peter do? In Acts chapter 10, we we see an account. And again, it's a monumental event. And we have this man. He's a Roman centurion named Cornelius. This guy is paid. He's on the payroll of the Roman government. Those who are oppressing the Jewish people. And he has this dream. And in this dream, he's told to, to go out and to find Peter. This man, he has a vision and he says, go find him. An angel from God tells him that. So Cornelius sends out people, go find this man, Peter. The other scene, Peter is over here sitting on a roof, waiting for food, and he falls into a trance. Doesn't say anything more. I just like, it just says like, yeah, that's what I do every day, fall into a trance. You know, why did he fall into a trance? Was his blood sugar low? He hadn't eaten yet. You know, what's going on? It's just kind of assumed. Yeah, here he is on the rooftop, hasn't eaten, falls into a trance. And then this sheet is lowered from heaven and it says held on four corners. And that's important because in this sheet are all these different animals. Some are kosher, some are not kosher but it's being held on the four corners, so they're probably all clumping in the middle. Their religious tradition said if an unclean animal is touching a 
clean animal, then it's contaminated, it's unclean. The same thing is true with you. If you are a Jew and you touch someone who is unclean, a Gentile or a person who is unclean, a leper, things like that, then you too are defiled and are unclean. And so here is this vision that comes down. And then the voice says, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter responds, Lord, not so. I have never eaten anything unclean. I'm a good kosher boy. I have followed these laws. I have done this. It's funny, I was doing a dog training yesterday. It was at a doctor over in Dana Point, a beautiful house overlooking the ocean, you know. And I'm there and I was going over some of the homework for him. And one of the things I said, you know, in this pack that you're now over the dog, leaders eat first. Okay, so I want you to eat and your dog has to wait till you're done eating. And if he starts bugging you, you tell him to go on and then he'll eat after you. He goes, really? He goes, I always had fed my animals first because in the Talmud it says to feed your beasts of burden before you eat. And he goes, that's the only thing I do, but I thought one isn't bad, you know. And I said, well, your dog isn't a beast of burden. They're not pulling a sled or anything, so you don't have to worry about that, especially it's a chihuahua. Um, But so many people think, you know, if I do one thing, it's all I need. And Peter's holding to his guns. I'm not going to eat something that is unclean. You see, his religion had stopped him from seeing the gracious God who was doing something. And God says, no, you you don't call anything that I have cleansed unclean. And then the sheet goes up. And this happens three times because Peter like, no, I ain't going to do that. No, I ain't going to do it. What's going on here? This is a strange kind of trance I'm in. And then all of a sudden the sheet is gone and there's a knock on the door and it's Cornelius's men saying, we're here to get Peter. Is he here? And then Peter goes down and he said, yeah, our master Cornelius, a Roman centurion, has called for you. And Peter actually goes and goes into his household and preaches the gospel for the first time to the Gentile world and has become a fisherman of people because he was entrusted by Jesus and now was being trustworthy to Jesus to follow his voice and do what he did. And we see now the development of integrity in Peter's life. You see, integrity is something that takes place within us. A a definition would be choosing courage over comfort, choosing what's right over what's fun, fast, or easy. Practicing your values, not just professing your values. Peter is feeding the sheep. And it's been a journey from a fisherman who didn't see himself as worthy to a person who walked on the water, who knows that he was the Christ, was given the keys of the kingdom person who stumbled and was human and fell to a person who was restored and actually was entrusted with the kingdom's keys to preach the gospel. And you and I are here 
because Jesus entrusted Peter and Peter took that trust and became a fisherman of people. This journey that we are on, you're going to have similar incidents. You'll have high moments where you are like Peter. You're the Christ, the Son of God. I have faith in you. I, man, I am so believing in God for anything. I'm just on fire for the Lord. And then you're going to have moments, might be the same day, where you stumble and you fall bad and you struggle. Know that Jesus comes to you just like he did to Peter and will ask you, do you love me? If you say, yeah, I love you. And he says, then I want you to feed my sheep. And he'll call you back in and he will trust you once again. Wherever you are at and with whatever you're done, he will restore you. And you can be again a part of this work that God is doing. You see, it's not about how good we are. It's about how gracious God is. And what we celebrate at the table here is God's grace. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So many times the communion table is thought of as a place where, you know, if, if you're worthy, you know, because Paul says in Corinthians, you know, don't take of the table in an unworthy manner. And people think, well, you have to be worthy. He's not speaking about that. He was speaking about the people not actually being generous to those who are around them, that they weren't representing Jesus as they were selfish in their partaking. It's not about if you're worthy This is what allows us access. You don't get good enough and then go to the table. The table is what makes you good enough. It is Jesus who says, do you love me? He says, then feed my lambs. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Because the kingdom's keys are still entrusted to his church. And that's us. Let's pray. Let's have the band come up here. Father, we thank you again for this time and the journey that Peter was on and, Lord, how it mirrors our lives in so many ways. And I do pray, God, that you would help us to move our lives forward, that we would not give up when we stumble or fall, that we would not quit when we struggle. Lord, maybe there are things going on in our mind that we're just wrestling with. How can you be a good God? How can these things happen? Lord, I pray that we would continue wrestling and wrestling and wrestling. Father, you are faithful. Lord, even as you've been faithful to all the people we've been looking at, you were faithful to Peter. And Lord, you have so much for us as we entrust our lives to you. And I pray, Father, that this table here this morning would be a place where we again put our trust when we take that bread and we dip it into that grape juice and we partake lord it is a reminder that you have committed yourself to us you have entrusted yourself to us and now we get to partake of it and be a part of that lord might we take the trust that you are giving to us may we be dependable. May we be reliable. May we have integrity. 
Father, may we continue the work that you've begun. We do pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As you are, as we're worshiping, go ahead and partake. Stand up, come to the table. You can dip the bread in the, the juice and partake it there or as you want to, going back to the seat. And again, may this be a time of worshiping God and acknowledging Him in our lives. May you come to realize that the love of God is deeper and wider than the road you're on. May you come to trust in God and understand that He has entrusted you with the keys to the kingdom. And may you continue to be fishers of people. God bless you guys. Have a great day. See you later. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.